live. You're live. How many we got on here? Uh, none. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it takes us a while. It doesn't even show your actual buttons. It, it yeah, takes it a minute. Folks, just a minute to try to catch up with us. Oh, where are you? Couple on. Who's the first two to jump on? I know Mallory was one. I didn't see who the other was. Mallory and Clay, I guess. Twenty-two. Good morning, everybody. We're giving a, a just a little bit of time for folks to find this and to get connected with us this morning. Then we'll get started. Once again, I want to say thank you to Jeff uh, for his faithfulness every Sunday for the Dubois family, for Grayson and Ben. Uh, you guys have been doing a great job, and, and I know that many folks appreciate that. And as pastor, I truly appreciate it. Thank you for all your work. <clears throat> I really enjoyed the, the songs a few moments ago. Some of those old hymns uh, are so filled with God's word, filled with theology. They're, they're so powerful, and I, I appreciate you singing those as well as as the newer stuff. How many we got? 33. All right, folks, take your Bible this morning and find Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. I'll read the, the pretty long scripture reading this morning, but I'll, I'll get to that in just a few moments. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll start uh, studying God's word this morning. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the great privilege of being uh, one of your children. Thank you that you are always faithful in our lives. You're ever present with us. And I pray today as we look at your word that this message would pierce our hearts. And if we are not about what we should be doing, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would be doing that. And then for those that are, are watching or listening that uh, don't have a relationship with you, they'll understand the sense of urgency and the need of being prepared. For what's to come. Thank you, God, for your grace. In Christ's name, amen. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that when someone's coming to your house, especially somebody that's new, never been to your home before, you suddenly feel an immediate urge, uh, I guess a compulsive urge, to get the house ready, to straighten things up, to clean things up? I mean, if you know guests are coming, I think all of us have routines or rituals we go through. We prepare our home, our family. We prepare ourselves for those guests. Uh, preparations have to be made. Even here at the church house, folks, when we plan big events like revivals or a guest preacher's coming in or a singing group may be coming in, there are certain preparations that have to be made. When we are getting ready for Bible school, getting ready for summer camps, there are preparations that have to be done. Things have to be put in place. Uh, I know some people don't think about this, but it actually involves more than just putting some dates down on the calendar in the church office. There are things we need to arrange. Again, preparations that have to be made. Uh, for instance, there has to be reservations made, meals, travel, expenses have to be considered, whatever else is needed, promotion of the event that's going on. Uh, and then there's also, there are spiritual preparations that we strive to make. We spend time preparing our hearts 
in prayer, uh, studying God's word, spending time alone with God. Now, all these preparations that we make are important because what they do is lay the groundwork that's needed for what we believe God wants to do in our lives and the lives of others. Well, what you have here in Matthew chapter three is Jesus entering in to the time of his public ministry. And what we see is God preparing the stage for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into that public ministry time. And uh, because God's not going to allow Jesus to begin a ministry without proper preparation, without introductions being made. So what God does, God gives the privilege of making those preparations and making those introductions to a man by the name of John. And we know him as John the Baptist. Now it was John's job to prepare the way for Jesus to set the stage. Now, all four of the Gospels have an account of John's ministry and of John's message. And by the way, the message John preached is the same message the Lord Jesus Christ preached. And it's the same message that any Gospel preacher is going to preach. It's a message this lost world today needs to hear. It's a message that we all need to hear. For the lost, salvation hangs in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. For the church, the blessings of God hang in the balance. Apart from a proper response to this message, we'll not know or experience the presence, the power, or the blessings of God upon our lives or upon the church. So look with me. I want to start reading in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3. Now I'm reading now the ESV. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going to him, going out to hear him. And verse six, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, now, of course, that was the high up religious leaders of the day who believed it was all about what was on the outside, not about what was on the heart. And John knows what's in their heart because God is giving him that discernment. And John says in verse seven, but when, or the Bible says in verse seven that John, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. In other words, you nest of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he's telling them, you need to repent. I don't care how religious you are. You need to repent. Verse nine, and do not presume to say yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God's able to raise from these stones, <clears throat> excuse me, able uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax, now this is an important verse. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry or to loosen. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, what I find amazing, the first thing I find amazing about this passage is, oh, John, he managed to do what every preacher wants to do, even though every preacher won't acknowledge this or admit to this. John did this. He drew a crowd. There were people that poured from all over the region. Uh, all the city folk come out to the backwoods, from the highways and byways. Everybody come out to the wilderness to hear this wilderness roaming hillbilly preacher, John, preach. Now, the fact is, most of us preachers nowadays that I know, we can't even get folks to drive in the luxury cars across town, set in a padded pew in an air-conditioned auditorium and hear us preach. And I don't know, perhaps we're having trouble getting people to sit in the comfort of their home and listen to a live stream for 30 minutes. But here's what I want you to know. The crowds did not come because of John's slick presentation of a popular feel-good message. They didn't come because they were drawn to John's uh, great sense of style or his uh, love for fine dining. I mean, the Bible tells us that John, he wore a camel hide uh, shirt and he eat grasshoppers and wild honey. Now, apparently they didn't come because he had a great band and a great worship experience they could have. The, there's nothing mentioned of any kind of band. There wasn't even anybody singing an old Baptist hymn. I mean, there wasn't any music at all. Here's what I want you to focus on. People were coming from miles around to hear John preach. Why? Because John's main focus was the word of God. John knew what he was to do. He was to preach the word of God. and He, he was preparing the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, mankind's only hope. Now, I believe that's a good word for all of us preachers to remember today. Now, John, the thing about him, he was not concerned about impressing people. He was different. Uh, for the standards of his day, he was a little bit eccentric. Uh, the standards of our day, he'd be considered a, a, a lunatic. John was different, but he also, I believe he was cut from the same cloth as the other Old Testament prophets. His message that John preached, it was not exactly designed to draw and to keep a crowd. John preached his message without any thought whatsoever about the entertainment value of it. He didn't care uh, about being politically correct. It was not like so many messages uh, that you hear today and so many preachers you hear today. They're real long on popular thought, but real short on biblical truth. John was not that way. He preached the word of God with no holes barred. <clears throat> John's message was very powerful and it centered around two very important but unpopular biblical truths. And you know what those truths were? Repentance and judgment. You see, John's message was twofold. Now, I will say this. Those truths, they were not popular in John's day, and I realized they are not popular in our day. John's uh, message, it was twofold. Number one, he preached a warning. Number two, he also gave a message of hope. Now, those two basic messages, they need to be heard by every generation because in every generation, people have the same need. People face the same struggles they find themselves in the same spiritual predicament. The people in John's day, just like those in our day, they were headed in the wrong direction because of rebellion and because of sin. They were not getting closer to God, but farther away from God. Their lives were marked and filled, not with hope and light, but with darkness and doubt. 
Now, I want to tell you, folks, they had bought into two uh, of the day's popular philosophical ideas. Uh, number one, and I think they're popular today as well. Number one, I'm sure that many of the folks here in John preached, <coughs> they had bought into the idea of religion is what they needed. So they tried all the different religions that were available on the religious buffet of their day, all the options that they had, but it always left them empty. It always left them unsatisfied. There was always something missing from religion. Their heart hungered for more. <coughs> Another thing, the Jews of that day, they, uh, of course, saw themselves, <coughs> excuse me, as God's chosen people, it's not the virus. I've tested negative twice. I just want everybody to know that. It's allergies, okay? Now, back to what I was preaching. The Jews saw themselves as God's chosen people. Now, they were extremely religious. They were extremely moral, ethically speaking. Uh, but there was something missing. You see, their good works and their attempts to reach God through religious performance, it left them empty. It left them unsatisfied. Now, I know there are some of you watching me right now. You're listening to this message. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there or perhaps you're there right now. You've been there and, and you've tried life with religion and you've tried life without religion and both ways have left you empty and left you unsatisfied. You have lived your life doing your own thing, doing what you want, pushing the limits, and you've also lived your life trying to live your life under control and doing the things you know to be right, but you still found your life to be empty on the inside because something was missing. Well, I got good news for you. This message today is for you, so I want you to listen to me. You see, beyond the hurt, the frustration, uh, the emptiness that they felt in their lives, there was an even greater problem and danger that existed. There was an even more serious and dangerous problem than they may have realized. You see, the people of John's day, just like our day, they were a sinful people, and they stood justly and rightly condemned before a holy and a righteous God. Folks, and that's true of us today as well. Now, I'm not going to try to sit here this morning and convince you that you're a sinner. I believe that most folks, if they're honest with themselves, they know they're a sinner, whether they want to admit it and acknowledge it or not. <coughs> but what I do want to remind you of is that sin brings with it a great danger and a great consequence. It brings something that will overwhelm us, that will destroy us if we continue on that road. So the first thing that we see in the text this morning, and the first thing that I want to call your attention to is God's wrath is coming against those who continue in their sin. Look at verse two. The Bible tells us, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I gotta be honest, on one hand, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I get excited when I hear things like that because that means something good. Man, that means great news, great things are on the way. <coughs> It means that all the promises of the Bible, all the wonderful things that God has prepared for us is about to become a present reality. No longer are they a distant promise or a distant hope, but they're going to become a present reality. But on the other hand, folks, when the king comes, he's not only bringing blessing and reward to pour out on those who are his, but he's also bringing wrath and judgment to pour out on those who reject him and who are lost in their sin. You know, if you spend some time listening to the news or reading the news or just listening to people talk 
around you today. You're going to hear about the dangers that surround us in this age. <coughs> I want you to know the great danger this world faces. It is not nuclear annihilation. It's not terrorism. It's not global warming or climate change. Uh, it's not the uh, economy uh being depressed or, or being destroyed. Uh, it's not a pandemic. It's not a disease. That's not the greatest danger we face. It's not even the government and their overreach and, and losing our freedoms and our liberties. Friend, the greatest danger the world faces is the wrath of God that's coming against sin. The wrath of God because it's coming against sin means it's coming against the sinner. It's directed at people. I want you to look at verse 7 again of Matthew chapter 3. <clears throat> it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now I want you to listen to what God told Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 25 verse 15. God says, Jeremiah, take this cup of the wine of my wrath from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it and they shall drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Then the psalmist writes this, for a cup is in the hand of the Lord and a wine foams, it's well mixed and he pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dredges. Then I want you to listen to John, the gospel of John chapter three, Verse 18, then verse 36. Jesus says, he who believes in him, talking about himself, the son of God is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Then verse 36 of John 3 says, he who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son <clears throat> will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You know, it's so sad today, people spend so much time worried about what other people are going to do to us, how other people are going to hurt us or harm us. We worry about, you know, maybe our spouse, our friends, neighbors, uh, family members, a boss at work. We worry about what they're going to do if they get angry with us. We want to worry about what the government is going to do to us. We want to worry about what other nations around the world who hate us are going to do, how they're going to plot against us. Friend, listen to me. Let me be very clear. All those things, whatever that might be that anyone else might do to us, I'm telling you they're going to pale in comparison to what God's going to do to those that reject him. Make no mistake about it, friend. God is going to punish sin. He's a holy God and he will not allow sin to continue. If he didn't punish sin, he would not be a holy God. And I'm telling you, the Bible teaches without equivocation that above all, first and foremost, God is a holy and a righteous God. <clears throat> There's a judgment that's coming for those who reject Jesus Christ and continue in unrepentant sin and unbelief. God's judgment is going to be as harsh and as hard as his grace is sweet and beautiful. Now, did you notice John's message? Look at verse 10 of Matthew 3. John said, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now skip down to verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, you know what both those verses are saying? They're telling us that God's going to separate that which belongs to him, the believers, from those that do not belong to him the unbelievers. 
There is a horrible fate awaiting those who reject his offer of grace and salvation. Friend, I'm going to say it again. Judgment is sure and certain. God's wrath is coming. And I know there are people listening to me now or will listen to this message later and they'll say something like this. Preachers have been saying that for years and years. Well, let me be real clear on this point. Do not confuse God's delay with indifference. There's a reason God has delayed. It's all because of his grace. God is giving people time to repent and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> there are some of you listening to me right now. You're struggling, debating, de uh, deliberating, hesitating of your salvation. I want you to know there's still time. Friend, God's grace is sufficient to save. God's grace will always be sufficient to save. But here's the thing about God's grace. It's always sufficient, but it will not always be available. The Bible says now is the time of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I want you to understand the day of grace is limited. The day of judgment is coming. You may sit back and think, well, preacher, you're just trying to scare us. Well, not really. Well, yeah, I guess in a way. Yeah, I guess you could say I am. There's a reason to be scared, friend. What I'm telling you is not an empty or idle threat. This is a promise from the very word of God. That God is going to judge sin. That means that he's going to judge people because sin is in us. It's part of us. I'm trying to warn you. I want you to be prepared. And there's only one way to be prepared, and that's have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, living in Oklahoma, this time of year, we're all familiar with the weather warnings. I mean, we get them. I've got the app on my phone. You probably do too. This time of year, I've got to silence my phone because the weather app's going off all the time. Ding, ding, ding. Now, think about it, folks. It is the season here in Oklahoma, and we have it all. We've got storms, we've got uh, lightning, hail, thunder, winds, rain, flooding, tornadoes. I mean, we have it all. Now, those warnings are given to people so they can be prepared. Now, I realize that a lot of folks, they don't take the warning seriously. Uh, and one of the reasons they don't is because meteorologists, you know, sometimes they get it wrong. But every once in a while, they get it right. And if they get it right and you're not prepared, you know, your home's not prepared, your family's not prepared, you're going to pay the price. And that price is going to be a loss of property, a loss of comfort, a loss of safety, or perhaps even a loss of life. Well, friend, I want you to hear me and hear me well. God never misses on his prediction. If God says it, you can count on it. It's going to come to pass. God always gets it right. And the Bible is clear. It gives a clear warning about the coming storm, the storm of God's wrath. And it will not be delayed forever. It's coming and it's coming is necessary. Do you realize that? Now, I know you may think, preacher, why would you say judgment like that is necessary? Well, folks, evil and wickedness deserve to be dealt with. They, they deserve and need to be destroyed. Now, God cannot stay his hand forever and still be God a God who deserves our worship, our loyalty, our love, and our life. Listen to me, beloved. A God who will not stand for what's right and deal with what's wrong, that's not a God worth following. C.H. <clears throat> Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, he once said, and I quote, and if now for a time the full manifestation of the anger is delayed, I beg every one of you, do not therefore trifle with it. 
The longer God's arm is uplifted, the more terrible will be the blow when he finally strikes. To sin against the patience of God is to sin with a vengeance. You do, as it were, defiantly put your finger into the eye of God. When you know that he sees you sin, and yet you go on sinning because he does not immediately take vengeance upon you for all your evil deeds. <clears throat> it is in great love that God restrains his wrath, for he is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. But just like a torrent that is dammed up for a while, it gathers force and strength. And every hour which is kept back, it gets to be more irresistible. So it is with the coming of wrath. When it finally comes upon you, if it has waited for some of you for 70 or 60 or 50 or even 20 years, it will come as an overwhelming flood. When it finally bursts the barriers which presently hold it back, do not play with the patience of God, which is allowing you time to seek the salvation of your soul. To that I say, amen. Now, maybe you hear the message and you're thinking, well, preacher, <clears throat> that's this kind of a horrible message this morning. You're not going to fill the church pews. You're not going to fill the church house with a message like that. Well, you know what? You're probably right. But let me clue you in on something. As a preacher of God's word and a preacher of the gospel, my main concern is not filling the church house, but filling heaven. Now, I will admit I would like to do both. But if I can only do one, I'm content with filling heaven instead of filling the church house. I told you earlier, there's grace and hope in this message, and there is. Judgment's coming, but there's a way to escape. <clears throat> now, John's called to repent. It lets us know that even though while we're on that downward road, the wrong road, the road of destruction that leads to God's wrath, there's another road that we can get on. And it doesn't lead to God's wrath, but it leads to salvation. And just like, friend, God's wrath awaits those who continue in their sin, the second point that I want to make this morning is God's grace and salvation. It awaits those who will turn from their sin. I want us to go back once again. Look at verse 7 of Matthew chapter 3. Once again, John says, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, <clears throat> John says to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now you may not realize this, but that short, simple verse gives us two profound, undisputable truths. And the first truth is this. We cannot endure God's wrath. We cannot stand against God's wrath under the weight of God's wrath. And number two, we have to run from it. We must flee from God's wrath. So the question comes up, where do we run to? Where can we escape the wrath of God? I mean, God is everywhere. Is there anywhere a person can find shelter from the storm and safety from the flood. Well, there is a place of safety. There's a place where the flood of God's wrath cannot touch us. Now, I know many of you know the story of Noah and the great flood. Sin had reached a saturation point in this world, and God was going to destroy the world and everyone in it except for one man and his family. One man found grace, found favor with God, and that was old Noah. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, that Noah, I mean, all the rest of the world's headed one way. It says, but Noah, he was going the opposite way. It says he found favor. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And again, you know the story. <clears throat> God had Noah build the ark. That ark had one door in it, one way in, one way of salvation. And you remember when the ark was built, God called Noah and his family into the ark and he closed the door and the floods came. And the waters fell from above. The waters burst forth 
from below and the ark was battered. It was beaten. It was tossed about on the flood waters of God's wrath. But all those who were inside the ark were safe. None of that water entered in. Now, I hope you know this, but the ark is a symbol and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our refuge. And if we are found in him, God's wrath does not touch us because we are safe in Christ. Now, the question comes up, how can Jesus be our refuge from God's wrath? Well, number one, because he's the very place where God's wrath was swallowed up. Folks, in the parallel account of the story that we read this morning in John chapter 1, verse 29, when Jesus walks on the scene, John the Baptist makes an amazing and interesting statement. He looks at Jesus and he looks at his disciples and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, for all those listening to me who are somewhat familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system, you understand exactly the reference John is making. He is saying that Jesus Christ is our sacrificial lamb. He's the one that will die in our place. And any time that I read or think about this, I cannot help but think about Abraham and his obedience when God tested his faith. And Abraham willing to offer his only son Isaac on the altar to God. He told Isaac, he says, son, don't worry. God will provide a lamb. Friend, God did provide a lamb, a sacrifice for sin. He gave his own son, Jesus Christ. Now don't miss the compassion. Don't miss the grace and the provision, the amazing provision that God gave. Because the answer to all of our problem of sin, the answer to the separation that that sin caused between us and God, it does not come from us, any effort on our part. It is all because of what God has done. Even though we rebelled, even though we turn against him, God says, I'll make a way. My grace will make a way. <clears throat> Jesus came and took the sin of the world upon himself, took my sin, took your sin. He took the sin of the world on himself and in doing so, took God's wrath on himself, God's punishment against sin on himself. And Jesus died the one and only supreme sacrifice the only thing that God accepts for the sin of humanity is the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody's got to pay that price, friend. Either you accept what Jesus done, his finished work on the cross, or you pay the price yourself in eternity. Jesus delivered us by placing himself at the very epicenter of God's wrath. Jesus placed himself in the very eye of the storm of God's wrath. He drank the cup of God's wrath down to the very last drop. And on the cross when he died, he cried and said, it is finished. Salvation's plan was done. If we're to flee the wrath of God, if we're to have hope of heaven, folks, and not spend eternity separated from God in hell, we must flee to Jesus Christ. The question is, how do we come to Jesus? How do we find refuge in him? Well, let me talk, cover that real quick. First, we come in repentance and faith. That means there's a recognition and confession of sin. Notice back in verse six, people, that's what they were doing. They were coming and being baptized by John for a confession of sin. They had recognized that they were sinners in need of a savior and they were come and through baptism making that confession of faith. Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, talking about John the Baptist, he said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now I'm going to tell you something, that's high praise. 
When Jesus said of all of humanity, John is the best of the best. What a thing uh, to have said about you. Now, that's what Jesus said about John. But I want you to listen to what John said about himself when he compared himself to Jesus. Now, this is for all those out there listening to me who think you're a pretty good person and you're okay. I want you to know it's a complete different story when you stop comparing yourself to others and trying to determine your worthiness and your righteousness by comparing yourself to other people. When you start comparing yourself to Jesus Christ, you're going to come way short. You're going to actually see yourself for what you are, a sinner in need of a Savior, a sinner that needs the grace of Almighty God. John said, verse 11, look at it. He's the one coming after me. He's talking about Jesus. Is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. Now, according to some historians, that was a job that slaves didn't even do. It was beneath them. Now, a slave might wash somebody's feet, but it was beneath even a slave to unlatch or to latch somebody's sandals. What John is saying, in the face of God, the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest among men, John the Baptist, he said, I'm not even worthy to be considered a slave for him. Now, friend, I want to make something real clear. I want you to listen to me. You will not find refuge in Christ and refuge from God's wrath until you understand how completely unworthy and undeserving we are of salvation. <clears throat> the only thing we deserve is wrath, but praise God, what we've been given is grace. So number one, there's a recognition confession of our sin, but also there's a recognition of the fact that we can't save ourselves. Look at verse 9. John tells the Jews, he said, Don't suppose that you can say to yourself, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God's able to raise up children to Abraham. What they were doing, they were trusting in their heritage, the fact that they were Jews, that their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents were Jews. What they were doing, they were counting on their religious performance and their good works to earn for them salvation rather than realizing that those good works, what they do after salvation, is serve as evidence of salvation. There are a lot of folks today who make it a habit every time the doors of the church are open to go to church. They make it a habit to do religious things, to pray religious prayers, to do religious rituals. I want you to understand something. You're as close to heaven as you're ever going to get if that's what you're depending on. Jesus Christ came as the one sacrifice for our sins. We cannot save ourselves. If we could, why did Jesus go to the cross? We are wholly incapable of dealing with the problem of sin on our own. And there's many verses in the Bible that tell us that. But one that jumps to mind is Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. Think there's a third thing if you don't come to Jesus. And that is you have to trust in Christ alone. Nothing else and no one else. Nothing else for salvation. No one else for salvation. And let me explain it this way. When I, <coughs> excuse me. When I say trust in Christ alone, what I'm saying is you have a belief that if Jesus does not or cannot save you, then you have no hope of salvation. And then there's a final thing, and I'll close with this. There is a willingness to have your life identified with Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you leave that old life behind. We take on a new identity when we come to faith in Christ. And our lives will give evidence of that new life. You say, what kind of evidence? Look at verse 8. 
what John told the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He said, bear fruit in keeping with the repentance. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ and surrender your life to him, your life will bear fruit that shows repentance. Now I'm going to close right here. There are some of you, right now, you're listening to me, you have ignored the warnings. You've pushed aside that still small voice of God in your heart. You have disregarded the gentle tugging of the Holy Spirit on your heart. I want you to understand, please, you need to respond to God's call of grace today. There's still time today. Today is the day of grace. This is the day of grace for you. Tomorrow may not be, but today is. Right now is. You see, decision simple. It's either life or death, heaven or hell. Salvation, damnation. It's either Jesus or judgment. I gave you the warning, but I'm also giving you the hope. You either come to Jesus or you face the judgment. Now, I want to say this before we finish up. If you want to know more about what I've been preaching about, or you'd like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then please give us a call here at Southside. 918-647-2244. If nobody is here uh, this afternoon, leave a message. One of us will get back with you just as soon as we can. We would love to give you more information. We would love to celebrate with you the decision of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, of accepting that gift of God's grace that he offers to you. Give us a call. Again, we would love to help you any way that we can. Now, before we finish up, let me tell you, next week's going to be a little different. Uh, folks, Sunday school is going to start at 9.30. And the reason it's going to start at 9.30 next week, we're going to attempt to have uh, next week and the week after a parking lot, a drive-in service here at the church. So Brother Jeff will do the Sunday school at 9.30, and that'll give you time to get to the church here. And we're going to have guys positioned to help you park. Uh, I believe that, that we've got enough room between the parking lots and the, the property we own across the street. We can get everybody parked if the rain holds off. Again, spring in Oklahoma, we don't know what's going to happen, but that's our plan set. And church will start at 11 o'clock. We'll have the gym opened up for the restrooms. Uh, I would ask you, if at all possible, that you stay in your cars. Now, I realize there are churches that have opened back up, and that's fine. That's great. And I realize there'll be more churches opening back up in the next couple of weeks. Folks, we believe this is the best approach for us. And I know that uh, there are many people who say, well, I, I disagree with this. I would do it this way or I would do it that way or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> that's fine. Each church and the leadership of each church needs to decide for themselves. And we believe right now this is the best for us. So that's what we're going to do next Sunday. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I've told a young preacher last week. Uh, there's a reason God calls men to be pastors and it's to make decisions. And it's for such a time as this. I, as your pastor, believe we're, we're doing the right approach for us. And counsel with the deacons, with other folks, this is what we believe. So this is, we're going to continue with the letter that we sent out. Now, it may change after next week. And we may go ahead and open up. I don't know. If you do not feel well, don't feel like coming next Sunday morning, or you think it'd just be better to stay home for a couple more weeks, by all means, do so. We're going to continue to uh, live stream. 
Uh, I will tell you, we have radio stuff that will be set up, so the message will go through your car uh, stereo. You say, how does that work? You're asking the wrong man, but we're going to set that up. We have the capability to do that. Uh, so you can pull up, turn your, tune your radio, you can hear the service that way. Uh, one last thing, folks, I want you to be in prayer for those in our church family and in our community this week who's lost, lost some loved ones. Uh, we have folks in our church family, again, and in the community that have been in prayer for those families. God knows who they are and knows what the need is. Church, I love you. Thanks for being with us this morning. We'll be back at six o'clock for another live stream. God bless you and have a great day.